We're hurting and despairing, wrestling with life in a culture opposed to Jesus. Storm clouds are mounting on the horizon as marginalization increases. We need hope, reminders of what is true, instructions for how to persevere. We must remain resilient. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Um, before we dive in, can we just thank Andy and Bethany for coming to lead us today? It was... So I'm, I'm just so thankful they could come and spend the day with us. Andy and Bethany have become really good friends to Katie and I, and Andy has known Chris for years now, and so we're just thankful um, to have them here. And so uh, as we get started today, we kicked off a new series last week called Resilient, and it's kind of like a buzzword right now within um, our culture of how to come out of the pandemic more resilient, like how to survive and how to bounce back and withstand difficulty and adversity. Um, but it's also a huge theme throughout scripture. It's a huge theme throughout scripture in terms of how we live out our faith. And I want you to think for a moment about the place that you spend the majority of your life. Okay, I want you to think about that. The place you spend the majority of your life, it's probably not a hobby probably not with family unless you're a stay-at-home parent, the place that you spend the majority of your life, and you may not love it, is your job. Right now, I want you to think about your job, okay? Whether you sit behind a computer, whether you create things, whether you're very artistic, whether you are analytical, um, I, I want you to just think about how you spend those days. Do you love it? Do you hate it? How do you feel about your coworkers? What's your boss? You know, the one that you are for sure smarter than, right? How do you feel about him or her? <laughs> Have you ever thought, man, you know, if only I had a different boss? And here's the thing, too. If you're, if you're in high school or college, you think, well, you know, I, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't, I don't really have a career yet. I don't, you know, maybe you're in the place where you don't know what you want to do with your life. Maybe, maybe you're, you know, in your mid-50s and you think, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. You're still trying to figure it out. And, and we all kind of navigate work differently. And, and on your Connect card, if you check the Next Step email box, we're going to send you three simple questions that I think are really important to figuring out your purpose when it comes to your job, but also to figure out what God's preparing you for. Because here's, here's what we're going to see in Daniel 2 today. And this is true in my own life, is that all the experiences we have in life and have in relationships and have in work prepare us for what's coming next. They all prepare us for what's coming next. So for example, before we moved here, um, I, I was on staff, Katie and I were on staff at a church in Tucson, Arizona for two years. And I was the teaching pastor there and I loved the things I got to do. But it was a very uh, just unhealthy staff culture where, where people would talk about each other behind other people's backs. It was a, a very workaholic culture. And so I would get emails from my bosses at 11 p.m. or 4.30 a.m. And there was this pressure to always be on. And, and it really just did a lot of damage kind of to my soul. It, it made me kind of question some things about my own uh, just work and, and what I wanted to do with my life. And it was a really hard season. I had two bosses, which if you've um, ever had that blessing, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> two different bosses. And, and here was the thing. And they were really different. Okay, one of them one of my bosses, I, I would go into his office and he wanted to just know just the brass tacks. He just wanted the black and white, like, what are we doing? And he just wanted to know the finished product, okay? The other boss, 
he wanted to sit back and spitball with me and throw things at the wall and see what would stick. And so, so I would have to like bring one boss in, you know, kind of like on the 10 yard line. And I would have to like keep working, hoping that the other boss would really like what I was doing when I got to the other 10 yard line and brought him in and worried, man, what if I wasted all that space in between and the guy at the end doesn't like it? And it's really hard. And, we, and that's where we find ourselves a lot of times. And then we wonder, why does God have me in this job? Why doesn't God give me this promotion yet? Why isn't this door open yet? Why isn't it that no one appreciates all the hard work that I do? Why is it that nobody sees that? Or maybe, maybe you feel this way, where you have a friend where they got all of their dreams for their job, but you didn't. They got the great boss. You meet with them for coffee and they tell you about their job and you think, how did they get it? How did they get the answers to all of my prayers? I don't understand. And it gets really demoralizing sometimes. And here's where we get to Daniel then. We started this series last week in Daniel, and the theme of Daniel is really simple and applies so much to our, to our jobs and careers and life calling. Simply this, who is in charge of who is in charge? The theme of Daniel helps us to see who is in charge of who is in charge. The theme of Daniel, as we looked at last week, is to see that God is in control and over the people who end up over us the bosses, the teachers, the principals. And we saw last week, Daniel, to give you a little bit of background, Daniel lived about 26, 2700 years ago. And he was an Israelite. He was in the nation of Judah. And the nation of Judah had for decades, for generations, just sinned against God. Wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with the things of God. And so God just said, okay, you know, I'm gonna, in judgment, I'm turning you over to the Babylonians. Now we talked about last week, the Babylonians are the most evil empire ever on planet earth. And so God turns them over, but at the end of Daniel chapter one, this is so important, it says that God gave Daniel and his three friends, these four young men, knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. And so in exile, we see that Daniel and his friends continue to grow in the things that God places in front of them. See, God gave him skills. This is really, really important as we think about our calling, as we think about the things that we do and the way we spend our days, is that God gave them skills and understandings. Now, when you think about your job, the thing that you do, whether you love your job or not, do you believe that God has given you the skills that you have to do your job? Do you believe that God has given you the personality that you have to do your job, the talents that you have? See, here's one of the things that we think so often, and it, gets, and it, it short sights us so many times. We just think, well, I just do that so easily. Right, think about the things that just come naturally to you, okay? Maybe for you, it's so easy for you to create a budget. It's just so easy for you. You love creating budgets. Excel is like your Linus blanket that you hold on to at night. You just love budgets. You love numbers. You love when things add up. Do you know that there are, if that's you, do you know there are people in the world that abhor and hate budgets? You might be married to one of them. Okay, but the thing that comes easy to you does not come easy to other people. Here's one from my own life. Do you know one of the easiest things for me to do in my life? This. It, it, it takes, it, it is so easy and so natural for me to stand in front of a group of people or stand in front of a room and talk. It's so easy and natural. Do you know what? Like 95% of you would rather die than do this. But it's so easy and natural to me. And so here's one of the things that happens in our jobs is we think that everything we're good at 
everybody else is good at. We think that everything that we're talented at or passionate about, everybody else is talented and passionate about. And then we don't think that we're unique or special or that God has given us any kind of unique or special thing to fulfill a unique or special calling. And then we miss it. Because notice, everybody else who was brought into exile were not told that God gave them wisdom in all literature and gave them the ability to see visions and dreams. Just Daniel. It was Daniel and his three friends. Thousands of people were taken into exile, but it's just Daniel and his three friends. And I think it's so important. It's easy to skip that verse. It's easy to fly over that. But I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this as we talk about how to be resilient at work. And, and we're going to bring up a, a couple of people in our church to help us apply this. The thing that you do naturally, the thing that doesn't take any effort for you to do, the thing that you don't even have to think about, that you just go, oh, that just happened. God has gifted you with that. He has given you that gift and talent. And he's given it to you for a reason. He didn't give it to somebody else. He gave it to you. Your ability to sit there and just listen to people, that's something he gave you. Your ability to just organize things and just make things happen, he gave that to you. Your ability to go into a room and see things that do not yet exist, he gave that you that ability. Your ability to work with your hands. Your ability to spend hours with people. Your ability to spend hours by yourself on projects. All of those things God gave you. And so often, we miss that. And I don't want us to miss that because God gave to Daniel and his friends this ability. And so we see how it gets applied then, okay? So Daniel is with his friends. They've gone through all of this schooling in the Babylonian Empire. And finally, the king has a dream. And we're told throughout Daniel that King Nebuchadnezzar has a lot of dreams. And in this culture, dreams were important because they were seen as the way that the gods communicated to humans. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and we're told that he wakes up, and he's really anxious about it, and he wants to understand it. Now, maybe you've had a dream like this where you wake up, and you're kind of in a cold sweat, or maybe you wake up, and you get mad at somebody for what they did in your dream. Did that ever happen to you? That's always fun. Like where someone goes, I can't believe you did that in my dream. I'm like, we didn't, that, that didn't happen. But, but dreams matter, okay? And so in this culture, King Nebuchadnezzar brings all the wise men, the enchanters, the sorcerers together, which Daniel and his friends are a part of. And the king says, I've had a dream and, I, and, and I'm really, really anxious about it and I want you to tell me about the dream. And so the, the wise men say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And the king goes, no, no, no. You tell me the dream and then tell me what it means. Now there's a back and forth in Daniel too that actually goes back and forth three times where they say, no, 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 no one can do that. And the king is kind of skeptical because he thinks, well, if I tell you what the dream is, you could just make something up and I don't know if it's real or not. And so he says, no, no, you tell me what the dream is and then tell me what it means. And they say, well, no one can do that. So then the king says in verse 13, he issued a decree that the wise men were to be executed. And they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. Now, you thought you had a bad boss. Okay. When was the last time that happened? Well, you didn't get that done. Well, it's been nice knowing you. It's been, it's been a ride. And so they, they send everybody out to, to execute the wise men. And Daniel then goes to the king and requests time to give the king an answer. Now, this is, 
this is a really courageous move, okay? This king wants to kill Daniel, and Daniel goes to the king and says, can we have a little bit more time? And so then Daniel goes back to his house, and he doesn't strategize, he doesn't think, he doesn't do a whiteboard session with everybody. Daniel in verse 17 simply prays. He goes to his house, and he tells his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah about the matter, and urges them to ask the God of heavens for mercy concerning this mystery so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylon's wise men. Now, you might think, you might think, well, of course, of course he prayed. This is the Bible. Of course Daniel prayed. I want you to think for a moment. The last huge hurdle and barrier that you faced at work was your first response to strategize, to think, to read a book, or to pray. I'll tell you, my, my go-to move, my go-to move is to strategize. That's my, that's my immediate answer. The moment that I, that I encounter, encounter any kind of just, you know, speed bump in life, I just think, you know what, I can outthink this. My first move is rarely to think, you know what, I should pray about this. Because here's what I think in my mind. God's got so many other things. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. I could probably figure it out. Or, I wonder if God really cares about my job. Like, does God care about, like, this Problem. Does he care about this interpersonal work thing? Does he care about, you know, making ends meet? Does he care? Like, we think that. And Daniel goes back and he prays. And we're told in verse 19 that the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of heavens. And then we're told, this is amazing. He doesn't immediately run to the king and tell him. We're told that he ends up praying and thanking God. There's a whole long prayer that he prays to thank God for giving him the, the vision. Here's a gut check question. When was the last time that you thanked God for the things and the talents and the gifts that he's given you? When was the last time you thanked him for the promotion you got, for the opportunity you got? When was the last time that you got protected from a really bad boss or a really bad job that you said, God, thank you so much for not opening that door? And yet, God was involved in all of that. God was involved in all of that. And Daniel says, thank you for giving me the vision. And so he goes back to the king. And the king says, are you able to tell me the dream and what it means? And Daniel says, no man can do that. Which at this point, I wonder, I wonder like what, the, what the palace room was feeling, where everyone's just going, well, great, Daniel, I thought you were the guy. Like, you, we all put our hope in you. You asked for more time. Now we're all dead. But Daniel says, but... In verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has let the king Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. And so Daniel tells the king his dream. And he says, in this king, in this dream, king, you saw this statue. And the head was fine gold and its chest and arms were silver and its middle and thighs were bronze and its legs were iron and its feet were partly iron and partly clay. And Daniel says, and while the king, while you watch this dream, there was a stone not made by human hands that cut down the statue by striking the feet. He says, this is the dream. And the king says, yeah. He says, so what does it mean? And Daniel says, the God of the universe has shown you the future. Has shown you the future. Now we think, here's what we think. I'd really love for God to show me the future. How this would play out. But here's the thing. If God showed you exactly how everything in your life would play out, you would stay home. You would just go, you know what? I mean, just think back to the last five years. 
If God told you five years ago that you were gonna walk through a pandemic, you'd be like, you know what, I'm good. I, I, do somebody else. If God told you that you were gonna have a really hard situation at work a few years ago, you'd be like, I, you know, I don't know. And yet, all of those things are in preparation for what's to come. And as we're gonna see in Daniel, and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna do actually the second half of Daniel at Advent, and we're gonna see the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had come to fruition. What he says, he says in verse 35, he says, the iron, the fire clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away and not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. See, this is really important because Daniel tells him, and as we're gonna see in the next chapter, that the statue is this picture of Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom and everything that he built. And so the king thinks, man, this is great. This is my, I'm a statue. Like People are gonna remember me. People are gonna like come from miles around to see this monument. And then Daniel says, no, no, but there's actually gonna be a stone, a rock that is going to just destroy your kingdom. And here's the thing about Nebuchadnezzar. Outside of Daniel, we don't know anything about him. The most powerful man on the planet in this time. And we, know, we only know about him because he crossed paths with Daniel. It's the only way we know about him. See, here's the thing. We know that in our lives, that our lives are, are simply like a mist that'll just disappear one day. Our careers are the same way. As well, the thing right now that's keeping you awake, that will end. And the reason you know that is because there was a thing that kept you awake three years ago and five years ago, and, and that passed. Now, how long does that take? I, I don't know. But Daniel tells him, there's a kingdom that's coming and it's, and it's greater than yours. And then Daniel says in verse 44, he says, in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. And so what Daniel's talking about is this picture, and we're gonna see it throughout the entire book of Daniel, this picture of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king, and when we go to work, when we do our daily life, whether it is changing diapers at home, whether it is writing reports at work, whether it is sitting in meetings, returning phone calls, returning emails, we do it embodying the kingdom of God. We bring a kingdom with us to work. Either our own of our dreams, or we show people this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so to do that, to help us today, if you were here a couple months ago, you know we went through a series on spiritual rhythms and I, I did a whole message on work. And so I thought today, instead of spending just the entire time me talking about work, I'm gonna bring up three, uh, three people in our church and, and I'm gonna interview them. And they're in different places, so I wanna invite them to come up, uh, Jeremy, Becky, and uh, Nancy. If you guys could help me and just give them a hand and kind of welcome them up. Now as they're coming up, part of, part of what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask them a couple of questions about just what, how their faith interacts at work. Now, they're all in different places of their career. As you're gonna hear, they have different jobs, um, very different personalities, which is really fun. And so, um, but I wanna give them a chance to just introduce themselves. Um, so Nancy, we'll start with you. Why don't you just tell us who, who you are, what you do, and yeah, thanks for coming up here, being thanks, up here. Thanks, Josh. I'm Nancy McGuire-Heath, um, and I, um, have been in the field of education for 46 years. 
Um, I will be retiring next year on my, the end of my 47th year. And uh, I currently am the director of the Rhode Island School for the Deaf. I've been in deaf education for most of my life. I'm also a teacher of the visually impaired. So I have a staff of 60 people and um, an $8 million budget that I'm responsible for, uh, as well as su most importantly, supporting students and families and uh, a staff that needs leadership every day. Well, if you need anybody to read lips in a meeting, Nancy. Watch what you say. <laughs> Jeremy. My name is Jeremy Mata. I have been in the medical device field for 14 years. I started in a small startup where I was one of 15 people, and we grew to about 70 people. And just last year, we got acquired by the mega corporation, and I am now quite literally a number, a six-digit number, and I am one of 70,000 uh, across the, or the globe. Um, and I had a 12-month contract when that came through. They came and they bought us. They laid off a bunch of people. They gave me a 12-month contract, and it basically had to decide at that point, you know, do I finish out this contract? And, you know, there was a lot of people moving. My favorite boss left the company. She was let go. Um, and then I was uh, offered an opportunity to stay with the company, so I just took that two months ago. And I am now a manager of a team of four people, and we are, we w I went from being responsible for our quality documentation system, so I went from like, I don't know, 5,000 documents to like, I don't know, the counter's still probably going. It's, like a, it's over 100,000, I don't know, there's a lot, but uh, it's definitely been interesting. Wow, awesome, Becky. Hi, my name is Becky. Um, I own a company, it's a stationary manufacturing and distribution. It's hard to explain the whole breadth of what we do, but I've been doing that for 18 years since my daughter was born. Um, so I oversee 50 people um, and we pass a lot of product. <laughs> awesome, yeah. awesome. Well, thanks guys for uh, being up here today. So as you think about your job, how does your faith kind of interact with work and life, purpose? How has that played out in your career journey so far? Go ahead. Am I always gonna be first? Yes, no, I, I'll, I'll go first, I'll go first. Jeremy will save you. <laughs> so when I, when I think about my faith, I, I think about really what are my core beliefs? Like what do I really cling to when work kind of gets stressful? And to me, it's, you know, love God and love others. And others are made in the likeness of God. So I, I treat them the same way. And I think that all my interactions really throughout my job, I try to keep that kind of as my background information, regardless of whatever the people do, you know, internally my decisions are based on those facts. Yeah, I would say, like you were saying earlier, Josh, like everybody has such a unique purpose and is placed here to do something so specific. Um, and we get this small snapshot of time. Some of my employees have been there for 10, 15 years. Some are there for one to three years, five years. And that's really a sweet opportunity to help them to discover their unique purpose, but also you get that time to model Christ to them 
and that may be the only opportunity that they have to see that in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I would say, like, you know, we're all on this journey, and our work and our career is just this small part of it where God's put together an ecosystem around you that he has for you just in this moment. Awesome. Uh, I did a lot of reading um, early in my career by N.T. Wright, and he talks a lot about having purpose at work and taking your faith into work. If you haven't read some of that stuff, it's powerful. And he says that the workplace is the one tangible space that we are given to build the kingdom. And, um, and so I think about that often. I think about this is my tangible place to build the kingdom outside of our family, of course. And, um, and what am I doing today to build the kingdom? Um, he also talks a lot about every time we are in alignment with God at work, we bring the kingdom of God closer. And, um, and I, that's a huge responsibility, and I, I think about that often. Um, every time we're in alignment at work, we are helping to provide a foundation for the earth to receive the kingdom. And so um, as I talk with people and families who are in great need, a number of my students come from the inner city and their needs are physical as well as, of course, um, sensory with deafness. Um, I try to model compassion but not just compassion, like, okay, I'll do anything for you. That's really not Christianity. It's compassion with wisdom. And so my prayer every day is um, help me to be wise, help me to be productive, but help me to show up for people today, help me to be faithful. Um, if a Christian, when the winds of struggle come, um, they bow out or they bend or they say, you know what, I'm going for a new job. Um, we're not showing up for people every day. It's walking through the difficult times with them. And in work, you see people at their best and you see people at their worst. And, um, and so I think about that all the time. That, those are the three things that I pray for every morning before I go to work. And, um, you know, I just, maybe that would be helpful for you. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Nancy. So you guys are all in different career paths, different stages of your career. Um, What's challenging about being a follower of Jesus at work? What's hard? Uh, I am the director of a public school, so... <laughs> um, I have to be really careful um, when I talk about my faith and when I talk about God that it is not being seen as proselytizing or recruiting or, um, or not being respectful of faith that other people bring, or no faith that people bring to the workplace. So that is my big challenge every day. How do I live my faith, um, and yet I can't really talk about God in the way that I would in other parts of my life. Um, and so that's my challenge. Well, you talked the other day, if you can tell the story, you know, kind of how that has played out for you, like when you've been able to share your faith. Like, how has that played out? Recently, you talked to, about it at a fundraiser. Oh, right. Um, so I'm careful, and I choose my moments, and, um, and we recently did have um, a very large event, and I was able to just talk a little bit about how grateful I was that God had been able to um, provide for the school so much. And then, you know, when the question came up from the crowd of our supporters, you know, you're leaving us. What are you going to do next? And and I took a deep breath and I said, I'm going wherever God leads me and I trust him to take me there. And I walked off stage thinking, oh, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> and I didn't, so. <laughs> That's good. 
What about you guys? What's difficult about being a follower of Jesus at work? So I don't have quite the same experience. You know, I'm not in the education field. We can kind of talk more openly about our faith, you know, without any repercussions. Um, but I, I think for me, one of the most difficult things is, you know, we're, you know, at this job for, you know, eight, nine hours a day or whatever it may be, and you are under these tight pressure situations and, you know, if you just think about those even outside of work, the, you know, I spend the most amount of my time, the most amount of my stress, and that's probably where I'm going to make the most amount of my mistakes. <laughs> you know, like it's just kind of natural in, in that um, scenario. Um, so I think that I, I, it's not necessarily for me like I'm being influenced by other people in my position, in my job. I think it's more me mentally, you know, like it's, it's the battle inside my mind to, you know, not get mad at Doug for the meeting that should have been an email, right? Like it's, it's like, all right, that was, yeah, we just wasted 45 minutes, thank you. So, you know, like it's more of, hey, you know, maybe I shouldn't be hating Doug in my mind right now, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's internal for me, yeah. you know, in yeah. my position, I feel like. I think similarly, um, it's not as challenging as the public school sector, but um, I've always been able to be outwardly open about my faith at work. Um, and I'll pray before meetings, all hands meetings, um, any sort of check-ins like that or before company meals. But there is always still a fear, you know, it's, it's a fear of what could happen, a fear of what somebody could say, or if somebody is not going to want to engage with me anymore, or if I'm offending somebody. And so that's kind of my constant internal battle, but also just the pressure of knowing that people are looking up to you. And when you're professing to be a Christian and saying you're a faith-based company, or you know, we're a family, that you're actually modeling that behavior on a regular basis, yeah. similar to what you were saying. Um, it's like you're afraid to slip up or to come in, you know, on the wrong side of the bed and feel like, oh, everybody's watching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Be on your best behavior all week. Yeah. Well, so on the flip side of challenges, what are some opportunities for either that you see for yourself in your careers or for us as a church, we just think through how we follow Jesus at work. What are some opportunities that you've seen? Yeah, I'll just start with, I, I feel like, you know, I've, feel like sometimes we all feel that pressure, like, you know, we're on call, like we're on job, like people are looking at us, we're the Christians and the organization, the token Christian, right, that's sitting in the, you know, at work, and you, you know, kind of put that extra pressure on yourself. But I, I think we should just think, you know, about, all right, when I walk into work, what are my opportunities? You know, like, it's not just not sinning, right? That's not being a Christian, not doing something. Right, so how do I do something, right? So how do I be an impactful Christian in my workplace? And to me, that's, that's caring when other people don't, that's showing God's love, that's investing in your employees, your relationships, that's, you know, when someone comes and they ask you about the weekend, you know, like you ask them back, you follow up, you invest in them, and you build those relationships so that way you can have those conversations and they're, they're more natural and the people will be more respectful and they value who you are as a person and the time that you've invested in them, 
they'll be more receptive when you kind of, you know, lead them or, yeah. you know, plant seeds or however it yeah. may be. I think there's definitely an opportunity to serve, just to be a servant leader. I think that's always been the highest quality, um, to do excellence in work when no one is watching. These little things that coworkers see, and as a boss, you know, we see um, the people who, you see them on the surveillance camera, and they're like hustling when there's no one around in the back corner. Um, but as Christians, God cares about our work, and if we're doing everything we do, knowing that he's watching, regardless of who we're trying to influence or get approval from, um, that really speaks a lot. It speaks volumes to those around you. Yeah, yeah. Last word, Nancy. Yeah, no, I echo um, what's been said. It's very wise. Um, you know, work is an intersection of our calling and our careers. And it's a very odd place to put all that together sometimes. Um, but I think as Christians, our responsibility is to add to the culture of the place and to be um, positive, to be compassionate, um, but, and to look for opportunities where we can be a servant leader, where we can care for people. Sometimes it's something very small and they don't expect that um, they're gonna get it from the director. You know, it may be that I, uh, I show up at their door with something because they've been ill or whatever, but I, I really try to look for opportunities to impact the culture. And only when the culture is less toxic and more positive can we really model um, in a way that's productive. So yeah. I think the opportunity is to look for ways to impact the culture. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Can we thank them for sharing their wisdom? Thank you. Thanks, guys. Well, so as we close today, here's, um, here's how our hope for today. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers, talks about uh, being a disciple of Jesus is asking the question, um, if Jesus were me, what would he do right now? If Jesus went to your job tomorrow, how would he do it? If Jesus walked into your school, into your office, if Jesus opened your email inbox tomorrow, how would he do it and, and would it look different than the way that you do it? So I think one of the great opportunities, as they shared, for us as followers of Jesus is we do have a calling to be different, but that difference can just be being the person that smiles, being the person that has integrity and doesn't take shortcuts, being the person that respects the opposite sex in the workplace. And just the small little things are the opportunities for us to show up and to show our faith. And so, um, as I mentioned earlier, one of our goals every week is to help you to just take your next step of what that looks like. And so um, I want to encourage you to take that step um, on your Connect card. Um, if you're with us online, you can scan the QR code on your screen, and that'll take you to the next step to just have some three simple questions to help you with that. And so what I want to do, I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray over us as we head out into our week and as we close today. So, Father, I thank you for the journey that each one of us are on. God, I thank you for, for Nancy and Jeremy and Becky uh, just sharing today and just the wisdom that, that they have uh, walked through and just telling us a little bit about their journey and just how their faith has impacted their calling and their career. And God, I pray especially for those right now who are in a place where they are in between jobs or they really just dislike their job or dislike their boss. And God, I pray that you would just continue to give them strength 
that you would give them the grace to continue on, the grace to keep putting one foot in front of the other and having integrity at work and in their life. God, I pray for those who right now love what they get to do. What a sweet moment that is where, where you're able to use your gifts and you love getting up in the morning and you're energized for what you do and God, I just pray that for those who are in that season right now, that they would celebrate that and they would thank you, that they would have gratitude towards you. What a gift. And God, I pray that we would see that all of the things that we do naturally, the things that we don't even have to think about, God, you gave each one of us those gifts. You didn't give them to the person next to us. You gave them to us. And I pray that we would see that as something for us to steward, something for us to take hold of, and something for us to live out our purpose for your glory. And so God, I pray that as we go into our weeks, as we go into our schools and our workplaces and our offices and our playgrounds and coffee shops, God, we know that your spirit goes before us. We know that your spirit prepares the way for us and I pray you'd help us to be aware of how you're moving in your name, amen. Well, I hope you'll be back next week. It's gonna be a special week, here's why. Noah, our next gen pastor, is gonna preach his first sermon for us next week, so you do not wanna miss it. It's gonna be great. So excited for that. And so if you're a guest with us, when you walk out, you'll see a table of some gift bags. Those are there for you. It's our way of saying thanks for hanging out with us. Say hi to somebody on the way out, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.